You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Good morning, everyone. So glad to be I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. My name's Jake, and I'm just uh, really looking forward to our time together today. We're going to continue the series we've been in for a while now uh, that's uh, from the Upper Room Discourse, which is found in John chapter 13 through 17. And this set of teachings captures what Jesus' last uh, teachings to his disciples the night before he would go to the cross. And so uh, just chock full of just incredible stuff, really having fun walking through it. Today we're going to be in John chapter 15 and uh, verses 18 through 25, and Lauren is going to read that for us. So if you will, if you're able, stand for the reading of God's word. Take it away, Lauren. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. This is the word of God. Let's be to God. All right, you can take your seat. Um, I don't like being hated. I don't like being told that I'm going to be hated. And, uh, my guess is by y'all's laughter, you feel the same, you feel the same way. And so, uh, like, this is not exactly a real, you know, feel good passage of scripture that we're looking at this morning, but man, I'll tell you, it is really important for us to understand and here, if we're going to be a church that practices the way of Jesus together in Austin. See, what, what Jesus does here in this passage is that he kind of turns a corner. <laughs> Up to this point in John 15, he's just been enumerating the incredible glories that come with being his disciple or his apprentice, his follower. It, it, it is as a result of us being intimately connected to him like a branch in a vine with his life flowing in and through us, we have this just incredible life, his life. And as a result, we have his joy and we get to be called friends by Jesus. He's talked about his incredible love for us, all of these great things that come with being associated with Jesus. But here, starting in verse 18, Jesus lets us know that uh, there is some hard stuff that comes with being associated with him. And uh, some of that is going to feel really costly. Now, being associated with him is going to cost us 
something. And so like as a really good friend, as he is, he lets us know that. He speaks into that, sets our expectation, and uh, helps us know. Yeah, it will. It will cost you something if you're going to follow me. In fact, it's going to cost you people, or as he says here, the world, hating you. <laughs> so if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hated you or hates you. Now, in order to understand this passage, it's vital that we get what Jesus is talking about when he uses the word world, okay? And that seems important because if you're, someone's going to hate you, you want to know who or you want to know what. So what is it that hates us? What is it that that says that, we, that, that Jesus says we don't? no longer belong to, that he's chosen us out of? What is what is the world? Okay, now in scripture, the word uh, world in the Greek is the word cosmos. Okay, cosmos. And it's where we get the English word cosmos. You got That's what you go to seminary for right there. Deep, deep insight. Now the word cosmos is kind of like uh, the English word trunk in the sense that it's a word that has multiple different meanings, okay? So like elephant's trunk, trunk of a car, trunk of a tree, trunk where you put storage stuff in and up in the attic in your grandmother's house. So like there, that's you know, one word, multiple meanings. Well, that's the same thing with this Greek word cosmos, one word, multiple meanings. One of the meanings is that it can mean uh, like the universe or more specifically planet Earth. So for example, in Romans chapter one, Verse 20, it says, since the creation of the world, or there's our word cosmos, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood for what has been made so that people are without an excuse. That's one example of the word. It's like the planet Earth. But in John 15, that is not how Jesus is using this word because he's not saying that the planet Earth hates us, though you should recycle, Okay. Now, another way that this word is used in scripture is to, to refer to like humanity as a whole. So think, for example, the iconic John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, in today's passage, this isn't the way Jesus is using the word world either. Because uh, we still belong to the human race, right? So he's, he's, we no longer belong to it. We no longer belong to what? The, the human race? No, we still belong to the human race. He hasn't chosen us out of being human any longer. That's not what it is. It's not humanity as a whole. Now, there's another way that this word is used in the New Testament. And uh, let me just qu uh, quote for you from a Greek to, le uh, uh, Greek to English lexicon, their definition. It says, the word cosmos can be used to refer to the system of practices and standards associated with secular society or secular society, meaning uh, the society that attempts to live as if there is no God. Now, uh, that's a little bit of a more squishy <laughs> under concept than 
world meaning planet Earth or world meaning humanity. And so let me give you a couple more definitions of what this word means to kind of wrap our mind around it. Because this is what Jesus is saying, and it's what he's talking about when he says the world will hate you. So, like, here's what it is. Dallas Willard describes the world as our cultural and social practices that are under the control of Satan and thus opposed to God. Or as professor and author Jerry Brashear says, the world is Satan's domain where his authority and his values reign. Or John Mark Comer in his excellent book, Live No Lies, which is written on the three major enemies of our soul, the, the, the devil, our flesh, and the world, in that he defines the world in this way. He says, uh, it's a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are integrated into the mainstream, like the mainstream of society, and eventually institutionalized in a culture corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. See, the world in this sense, not as humanity, not as planet Earth, but in this sense, the system, the world in this sense is what happened when the twin sins of the garden in Genesis 3 spreads throughout society. It's what happened when rebellion against God, or at least living as if he doesn't exist, and the redefinition of good and evil becomes the status quo. And Jesus is saying, that is what would hate that's what hates his followers because that's what first hated him jesus is saying that's what jesus's disciples have been uh that used to belong to but now he has chosen them out of in fact just look at it again this is if the world hates you keep in mind it hated me first notice notice the pronoun there it not not they, not humanity. It's different. It's it's closely related, and I'll talk about that. But it's it's not just humanity. This is a system of of the world. It hated you. If you uh, belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. Like you do not belong to Satan's domain, where his authority and values reign. Jesus is saying, but I have chosen you out of the world, meaning I have chosen you to be citizens of my kingdom where God's will is done and his values reign. Now, is that somewhat clear? Does that get what he's talking about here? You're not giving me much confidence. <laughs> Woo! Okay. Now, listen, once we understand what hates us, then I think the question that, that seems to kind of naturally follow is, uh, why? Why does that hate us? Why, why does the world hate? Why does the world hate, specifically in this case, Jesus' disciples? Or put it another way, why does the world and why do those, and this is important distinction, why do those who belong to the world? Jesus says his, his followers, they no longer belong to the world. 
But there are people who belong to the world that are, to use other New Testament language, enslaved by the world. They're, they're captured by the way of the world. They belong to the world. Why do those who belong to the world hate Jesus' disciples? Why does the world hate us? Why do those who belong to the world hate us? Well, Jesus, if you skip down to verse 21, tells us very uh, very bluntly, he says, the reason they hate us is, or, is because of me. He says, they will treat you this way because of my name. Simply put, because of me. They'll hate you because they hate me. Now, which leads us to ask, why in the world did those in the world who belong to the world, why do they hate Jesus? Like how, how do you hate the guy that heals the sick and restores sight to the blind and who loves the marginalized and welcomes sinners and, and turns water into wine? Everyone loves that guy, right? I mean, come on. Why do they hate, why do they hate Jesus? Well, in 21 and, and, and moving forward, uh, Jesus explains why they hate him. And it's because he'll say, the world does not know the Father, and because in Jesus' coming, he has exposed that sin. Look at it again, verse 21. They will treat you this way, Jesus says, because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have sinned, and yet they have both hated me and my father. Now, oh, I recognize that these, these verses are a little confusing, right? Because it, it, it looks like it's saying that if Jesus hadn't, come and spoken and performed miracles, then those who belong to the world would not be guilty of sin. So like Jesus came and everything ruined everything. Like, thanks Jesus for coming here. Now I'm guilty of sin. Now, but that that's not, that's not what this means. It's not what this is saying. In fact, it, it, it's not talking about sin in general, like all sins. If you notice, he's talking about a specific sin, but it's also the central core sin. He's talking about the sin of not knowing the Father, which he, in the most unique and powerful way ever, came to make known. The uh, D.A. Carson, in his excellent commentary on the, the book of John, he, he puts it this way. I'll just quote him. He says, the sin they are guilty of is a sin of not knowing God, even when God revealed himself most spectacularly and explicitly, in Jesus Christ. For the world rejects this revelation of God, and this and the rejection turns to persecution and hatred. Ever since the fall, the world has been sinning against God, but not until the coming of Jesus Christ, the perfect revelation of God, did the world ever sin against such light. Rejection of Jesus' words, verse 22 and works, verse 24, is thus the rejection of the clearest light, the fullest revelation, and therefore it incurs the most central deep-stained guilt. 
the Apostle John, earlier in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, he speaks of this in this way. He says, uh, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. See, the world hates Jesus because Jesus is the refutation of everything the world wants. See, what the world wants is the freedom to live as if there is no God, to reject God's rule and reign. And in that, the world also wants the ability to redefine or to define on their own terms good and evil. And so... Uh, the idea that there is a God that Jesus has come to reveal and therefore they don't have the right to uh, redefine good and evil on their own terms is uh, the exact opposite of what the world wants, right? And that's why they hate Jesus. That's why the world as a system hates Jesus. He's the, the refutation of everything the world once. Um, Yuval Noah Harari, the popular historian and leading uh, a leading atheist of our time, uh, describes this idea of what the world wants and the ability to redefine uh, uh, good and evil this way. It's, it's really quite uh, quite well. He just says it quite well. He says, in earlier times, it was God who could define goodness, righteousness, and beauty. Today, those answers lie within us. Our feelings give meaning to our private lives, but also to our social and political processes. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. The customer is always right. The voter knows best. If it feels good, do it and think for yourself. These are some of the main humanist credos. See, it's, it's the ability to, to, to redefine good and evil. That's what the world wants, and that's why it hates Jesus and the Father. For the world and those who are captured by it, who belong to it, do not want their sin exposed. They do not want to acknowledge that there is a God, and thus they do not have the authority to redefine good and evil on their own terms. They want to live as there's no God. They want to live as if they can redefine good and evil. And the world wants one, one more thing. It, 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 wants, it wants you and I and everyone else to conform to its redefinition of good and evil. Conform is one of the main messages of the world. It's one of their strongest messages. Conform to what it says is good or else you will be hated. But belong to it Agree with it, conform to it. And Jesus says in verse 19, the world will, will love you as its own. So, for example, if you'll just conform to the uh, materialism of our age, or if you'll just conform to the sex ethic of our age, or if you'll just conform to the hyper-individualism of our age, then you will feel right at home in the world. And friends, uh, 
sobering truth is that the church, you and me, we are not immune at all to the world's call to conform to it. That even though as disciples of Jesus, we no longer belong to the world, we still live in the world, and therefore we are under and move around, have our being in a sense, in the culture, the system of the world. And so as a result, we are, as I said, not immune to its formational power. It's the water we swim in. And you feel the world's call to conform and to be formed into the image of the world or the the pattern of the world just simply by being alive. All you got to do is just wake up. You You open up your phone, you scroll through social media, their news, you go to work, you go about your day, and you will be feeling the pressure of the world to conform to its way to live as if there is no God and to live as if you can redefine good and evil on your own terms. We are not immune to the world's call uh, to conform. For years now, I have uh, uh, either on or leading up to MLK Day i just taken time to read Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, fantastic and incredible letter from the Birmingham jail. Every time I read it, I am really encouraged and uh, challenged not to conform to the pattern of the world. Uh, I'm reminded of how important it is for the followers of Jesus, for the church of Jesus, not to go with the flow of what culture uh, says is right and good, but to instead let God define what is good and what is evil. And then to lovingly invite others to join me in standing with God, even it may lead to rejection or being arrested or dying as it did for Jesus and Martin Luther King Jr., what gets me when I read his letter is the, the sobering truth that he wrote this famous letter, not to the general public and not to the politicians of his day, but to fellow clergymen, to leaders of the church. My dear fellow clergymen, while confined here in the Birmingham City Jail, I came across your recent statement calling my present activities unwise and untimely. <laughs> Excuse me. That's how he begins his letter. He was writing to pastors and priests who led churches that had so conformed to the pattern of the world that they wouldn't join King in his mission to end the evil of racial segregation. Because their culture, the world, said the evil racial segregation was good, they stood on the sidelines at best or worked against the movement to end racial segregation at worst. They went with the flow of culture. They let culture define good and evil. 
It crept into the church. So King pins these fellow clergymen a letter. So I was reading it this week. I just was so moved by it. I thought, I'm going to read some of that today. So um, let me do that just so you can hear this from him. Uh, though I do not speak nearly as good as he does, I will read his words for us. Just listen in to what he has to say. In deep disappointment, I have wept over the laxity of the church. But be assured that my tears have been tears of love. There can be no deep disappointment where there is not deep love. Yes, I love the church. How could I do otherwise? I am in the rather unique position the son, the grandson, and the great-grandson of preachers. Yes, I see the church as the body of Christ. But, oh, how we have blemished and scarred that body through social neglect, and hear this, hear this, and through the fear of being nonconformist. Through the fear of not wanting to conform to the pattern of the world. There was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced on being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transforms the society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the early Christians, I'm sorry, the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on in the conviction that they were a colony of heaven, called to obey God rather than man. Small in number, they were big in commitment. By their effort and example, they brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide, and the gladiatorial contests. Things are different now. So often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often it is an arch defender of the status quo. Read the way of the world. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often even vocal sanction of the way things are. Perhaps I must turn my faith to the inner spiritual church, the church within the church, as the true ecclesia and the hope of the world. For I am thankful to God that some noble souls from the ranks of organized religion have broken loose from the paralyzing chains of conformity and joined us as active partners in the struggle for freedom. They have left the secure congregations and walked streets of Albany, Georgia with us. They have gone down the highways of the South on torturous rides for freedom. Yes, they have gone to jail with us. They have acted in the faith that right defeated is stronger than evil triumphant. Their witness has been the spiritual salt that has preserved the true meaning of the gospel in these troubled times. They have carved a tunnel of hope through the dark mountain of disappointment. Hmm. 
though we do not belong to the world, we can still be very strongly conformed to the pattern of the world. And that's what the world wants, friends. The world wants to live as if there is no God and they can redefine evil and good on their own terms and they want you to conform to it. That's what the world wants. But I'll tell you, that's not what the world needs. See, what the world needs are people like Martin Luther King Jr. What the world needs are faithful followers of Jesus Christ who will practice the way of Jesus together in the world to give the world a picture of the kingdom of God, to see the kingdom of God come to earth as it is in heaven. The world needs followers of Jesus who will stand up to the persecution of the world, who will risk being hated by the world, disowned by the world, treated as if we are not the world's own. The, 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 the world needs faithful followers of Jesus who will go through all of that and yet still very much with all their heart love the world, meaning the people of the world, who, like Jesus, will come and serve the world, be willing to suffer persecution on the count of the world in order to save the world, in order to point them to Jesus and see them be rescued from the world. See, the, the, world, the world needs followers of Jesus who set their expectations and get their hope from what Jesus says in verse 20 in this passage. I skipped it earlier, but here's, here's what Jesus says. He says, uh, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed me, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Excuse me. In this verse, uh, in verse 20, what Jesus does is he repeats something that he had told his disciples in John chapter 13. If you remember, we looked at that uh, a couple months ago. See, in John 13, he says this right after washing the disciples' feet. He says, the servant is not greater than his master. And in John 13, Jesus' point in saying that was to say that as you, my servants or as my students, as my disciples, you should treat others the way that I have treated you. That you're not above me. So if I will wash your feet, then you should wash each other's feet. You should treat others the way that I treat you, the way that I treat others. But here in John 15, Jesus uses the same line. Servant is not greater than a master. But this time he's using it to say, you should also expect to be treated by others the same way that I am treated by others. That if I, your master, your teacher, your Lord, would be persecuted and hated by the world, then you, as my servant, should also expect to be treated the same way by the world. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's expectation setting. 
revealing, guys, that there is a God and exposing sin and refusing to conform to the pattern of the world will have consequences. In some cases, those consequences will be severe. But the, the other side, the second half of this phrase is, is also true, and it should give us hope. Because Jesus says that if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. And listen, all of Jesus' disciples and followers were ex an example of that. They were the proof that some who belong to the world can be chosen out of the world and enter into the kingdom of God through Jesus. That just as they had heard Jesus' teachings and obeyed, others will hear, according to Jesus here, they will, others will hear what they have to say and also come into the light and be saved. See, that should fill us, that should fill us with hope. Hope that as we faithfully and courageously and lovingly follow Jesus, as we practice his ways together, God will use that to rescue people from the domain of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins, as Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says. The church family, let us not conform to the pattern of the world. That even though following Jesus will cost us something, let us follow Jesus. For he is our good God and our loving Savior. And because he is good, friends, his way is best. So let us hold fast to him and let him define what is good and what is evil. And then let us extend him and his ways to others so that they can find life and life to the full in him and be freed from the ways and the prince of this world. The, uh, as followers of Jesus, if that's you know what you are, uh, we're not going to land where our culture lands on a number of moral issues. But that's not because we're uptight. And it's not because we are, in a sense, behind the times or because we are unloving. It is because we don't believe sin ever leads to human flourishing. It leads to pleasure. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, there's this, this, this great line in the book of Hebrews where it just talks about the passing pleasure of sin. Like, there's not a denial that sleeping with your girlfriend or sleeping with your boyfriend feels good. It's pleasurable. It's fun in the moment. But it's passing. And in the end, it's dust in your mouth. It does not lead to life. It does not lead to what we, not just as followers of Jesus, but all people, it doesn't lead to what all of us crave. See, we all want love and happiness and joy and ease in our own body and our mind and a sense of 
peace and a sense of community and belonging and meaning and purpose. All human beings crave this. We're just confused about the path that leads to it. And that's why Jesus said, come follow me. Come follow me. For I am the path. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. To follow me and find life and life to the full. And so let us follow Jesus, friends. Let us live as the true uh, ecclesia, as King wrote about, that is the hope of the world. Let our witness be spiritual salt that preserves the true meaning of the gospel in these troubled times so that we, as we stay true to Jesus, can carve out a tunnel of hope through the dark mountain of disappointment. Let us follow Jesus, even though it will cost us something. For to not follow Jesus is to conform to the pattern of this world. And when we conform to the pattern of this world, it is not God's kingdom who comes, and it is not his will that is done. It is the enemy's. But as we, the church, choose to follow Jesus, to practice his way and not conform to the pattern of the world, but to let God define good and evil for us and to live in light of his reality, what God does through our witness is that he breaks in and his will is done. And his kingdom does begin to come. And that's what our city needs, friends. That's what Austin needs. That's what our world needs. It needs faithful followers of Jesus who will practice the way of Jesus with love out of a heart of love, but with faithfulness to him. Now, I would love to spend 15 minutes telling you how we can do that in the sense of what will strengthen us to not conform to the world and instead stay strong and true to Jesus. There's a lot to be said on that. Um, Jesus will go there in part next week. And so there's my teaser trailer. I'm back next week. Just to list off a couple quickly, one of the things that we need is we need to abide in Christ. To not conform to the pattern of the world, we need to be transformed by the renewal of our mind through reading the word, hearing from Jesus, spending time with him, seeing how he defines good and evil. All of that is incredibly important. Friends, we need to abide in Christ. And then we need the spirit of God in us to lead us to, to that we would walk with the spirit. That's what Jesus gets into next week. In addition to that, we need each other, friends. We need the church. We need a people who are crazy enough that will look at each other and say, we will not conform. I've got your back, you've got mine. A remnant in the city that is living in light of the kingdom of God, that God is God. We need the church. That's why you need to be in community, friends. You need to not just be here on a Sunday, though this is hopefully helpful, but it's not more helpful than having a friend who knows you, knows what you're going through, knows the pressures in your life and looks at you in the eye and says, Jesus is worth it worth it. 
Stand with him. Okay, that's like who he is. We need the church. And then we also, we just need, we just need to set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat at the right hand of the Father as the author of Hebrews, writing to a church under great persecution, said, let us consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Thank mm-hmm. you.